So we're reading from Acts chapter 6, and we're just reading the first seven verses. Now in these days, when the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint by the Hellenists arose against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. And the twelve summoned the full number of the disciples and said, It is not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the spirit and of wisdom, whom we will appoint this duty. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. And what they said pleased the whole gathering, and they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, and Philip, and Prochorus, and Nicanor, and Timon, and Parmenas, and Nicholas, a proselyte of Antioch. These they set before the apostles, and they prayed and laid their hands on them. And the word of God continued to increase, and the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. Well, good morning, everyone. Uh, Will you pray with me as we come to God's word? Uh, Father, uh, we use the word church family a lot in this church, and I pray that through your living word this morning that uh, you'd send your spirit to move so that you might create us more and more into uh, the likeness of the family that we are because of Jesus. So please speak to us through your word. Uh, Humble us, give us listening ears, and I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, um, we're getting into the book of Acts, obviously, from the Bible reading, but we haven't been in Acts for three years, so um, I had to go back and look that up, so I can't remember, although I can't remember a lot of things, but um, I'm guessing you can't remember where we're up to. Now, as, as we come to the book of Acts, uh, we may not realise it, but uh, we Christians often read the stories in Acts very differently from how we read the stories in the rest of the Bible. Like We're starting our church lunches again next Sunday um, after the Lord's Supper, and, and I, I'm not expecting anyone to bring on this beautiful platter some, some locusts and wild honey beautifully presented while they're wearing camel skin clothing because they just think, John the Baptist, I need to follow his example. No one's expecting that. And yet, we read the book of Acts and, and many Christians just assume and, and use it as a point of debate. It's obvious we should do this. We read it very, very differently. Uh, I think it can cause us to, uh, like, to uh, you, you get a sentiment sometimes, and, and I've fallen into this myself, where you think, oh, the church, oh, if only we, we went back to what it was like in the early days. We need to go back there. Um, but we don't realise that we're romanticising what Luke didn't paint a rosy picture. <laughs> they, they had problems. If, if we romanticise the book of Acts in the early church, it can actually lead to 
too much disillusionment in the church today. It's, it's in, in, a, in a very unhealthy way. So that's all to say, we need to, as we're coming into the book of Acts, we need to get our bearings. What is it about? How do we read it? What is the book of Acts about? So if you've got your Bibles, um, if you don't, just listen along. But uh, Acts chapter 1, verse 1. Let's go to the first verse. <clears throat> so uh, Luke is the author, and he says, In the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day when he was taken up. So this is following Luke's gospel, and that word began. The focus here from the, from the word go isn't on the apostles, it's on the Lord. What Jesus began in his earthly ministry, he is continuing in his heavenly, uh, heavenly ministry by sending his spirit through his apostles, through his church. It's the fo- Jesus is the hero, in other words. The, the apostles are not the heroes. Jesus is empowering his apostles. Uh, Luke pauses throughout Acts to give like this narrative summary statement so many times, and in effect they all say, and the word of God increased, the word of God spread, the word of God multiplied. All throughout you'll find it. The focus is on Jesus and his word. He's gathering in his church. The other key to helping us uh, get our bearings for Acts is, uh, I should have stayed in chapter 1, stay in chapter 1 and look at verse 8. Verse 8, you will receive power. Uh, Jesus talking to his apostles. You will receive power. When the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. And then the book finishes with Paul in Rome, the centre of the Gentile world, and he's still nothing stopping him from the teaching God's word. So the emphasis in, that Luke wants to paint, he's, he doesn't actually trace all the stories of the apostles. He's not telling us a history of this apostle did this and this apostle did that. No, it's tracing where the word is going. And he's not even tracing everywhere that the word went. He seems He's picking these stories in particular to show us the word going from Jerusalem to Samaria and out even to the Gentiles and we finish up in Rome. So the emphasis is on Jesus gathering in his church and and he's making his church witnesses, witnesses to the gospel, to the truth of the goodness of belonging to Jesus. And he's empowering his church through the Spirit to do this. So the focus is on Jesus. Uh, The theme is about being witnesses. Jesus is gathering in his people through the proclamation of the word and through the just the winsomeness of the church. Like, if if you remember the story, the first church after the first sermon, it's just it's this beautiful picture of they're sharing all their goods in common. They're they're having fellowship. Anyway, I'll let you go back and read it. So it's the It's a witness. Witness is bigger than just telling someone about Jesus. It's bigger than that. It's, it's the witness of the character of the church. It's, it's 
how we go about things. It's got to be word central, but witness is a bigger term than evangelism. So the focus is on Jesus. Witness and the, the spread of the word is Luke's focus. Uh, the third theme that we see through Acts is that this happens despite serious threats. And some of those threats are outside the church, external pressure, uh, persecution, and some of the threats are inside the church. But Jesus is unstoppable. (laughs) His word keeps spreading. But don't expect the unstoppable Jesus, but it's not going to be smooth and easy. So the external threats, I don't think I need to go into this too much. They're pretty obvious, aren't they? Like the apostles are warned and then uh, beaten and then imprisoned uh, and we're about to come next week to the first martyr. Like the external threats are obvious when you read the book of Acts. I think we can skim over and lose sight of the fact that the internal threats could have destroyed the witness of Jesus and and the church being gathered. So, for instance, it's doctrinally impure and it's morally mixed. So, for instance, chapter 5, Ananias and Sapphira, out of love of money, they lie to God and they lie to one another. Like that, If that had spread, it would have just been toxic for the church. You've got the power-hungry uh, Simon, in chapter 8, you've got the fearful and retreating John Mark on the missionary journey. He pulls out. You've got the bitter dispute between Paul and Barnabas. You've got Apollos, who doesn't, his doctrine isn't quite complete. He's, he's a bit doctrinally confused. You've got professing Christians in Ephesus who, for a long time it seems, were hiding the fact that in private they were still practicing black magic. All these internal problems, and I think there's more, but the risen Lord is unstoppable. He he can use our sin and weakness and he keeps going, not to excuse that, but he can also transform his people from the inside out. Now, that's a long intro, but I think it's important as we come into chapter 6. The focus is on Jesus. It's about witness And there's external and internal threats to Jesus gathering and building his church. And here in chapter 6, I think we see another occasion of internal threat. And we've got two. There's two dimensions to it. So have chapter 6 open in front of you if uh, if you've got your Bibles open. The first one, verse 1, that kind of rhymes, disunity. Now, in those days when the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint by the Hellenists arose against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. Now, I don't want to look over the amazing fact that early on, this this very early church had set up a system for caring for the widows in the church. Already, they're caring for the most vulnerable in the church. Um, 
their identity in Jesus is controlling their wallets. Like we read that the rich were selling their property and laying it at the apostles' feet and they were distributing it as anyone had need. No one had any need because the transforming power of belonging to Jesus' people. Like that's, it's a beautiful picture. It's fulfilling what God had commanded uh, in the Old Testament. So Deuteronomy 24, you may want to look it up or just listen as I read it. Uh, when, you, when you gather the grapes of your vineyard, so you're a farmer, you're gathering in the grapes, you shall not strip it afterwards. So, so once you go through it, there's bits left over, leave them there. Why? It's for the sojourner, the visitor, the fatherless and the widow. You shall remember that you are a slave in the land of Egypt, therefore I command you to do this. Throughout Scripture, God has a heart for the vulnerable. James chapter 1, James was probably here this day. He's saying, like, if, if you say, go, be warm and well-fed, and do nothing to help, if you've got the ability to help, that is, and do nothing to help, that faith, it's, it's, it's worthless. Why? Because your love of money is greater than your love of God and love of people. God has a heart for the widows. We see in James, we see in Deuteronomy. And there's signs that what God commanded through Moses wasn't happening in the Jewish society of the day. So uh, I thought of Mark chapter 7, where Jesus, he condemns the Pharisees. He says, you, you, you set up your own laws above what God commands. You say, in effect, I don't need to look after you, mum and dad, in your old age, as long as you give that money to the temple. And Jesus is like, you're setting aside God's word. You should be caring for your mum and dad. And so they were teaching this. And Jesus condemns the Pharisees for it. Another thing we see in, in the Jewish Society in Jerusalem was there was division in the synagogues. It's, there were some synagogues that were Hebrew speaking, and there were some synagogues that were Greek speaking. And, and we see that in the next paragraph um, the synagogue of the, uh, the freedmen's, and they're from different countries. Because even though they're all Jews, some Jews had been dispersed among the nations and, and they only spoke Greek. So you can imagine that. This language difference created cultural difference. And you could imagine that the Hebrew speaking are more pure. They haven't been mixed with, with the other nations. You could imagine that prejudice. It's a problem that the synagogues couldn't, they didn't solve. But here we see that this division has come into the church. This prejudice has come into the church. It's a real problem. If this was left unaddressed, if the Greek Jewish converted to Christianity women weren't looked after, it would basically saying, well, you're not quite family enough to be cared for. It would totally undermine 
what the gospel says. The gospel says who are God's people? All who come to Jesus as Saviour and Lord. There's no distinctions. It would undermine what the church is, the household of God, if we didn't care for, if they didn't care for all their widows. It would undermine the witness that Jesus' word and spirit can actually create our our hearts after the heart of God who does care for the widows. If this wasn't addressed, it's the age-old problem. We wouldn't be practising what we preach. It It would undermine the testimony. Like why here in our church, why would we expect friends and visitors to want to come in to this family of faith if, if our family is marked by the sorts of things that you can find out in the world? Why would they want to come in? But how compelling would it be if, if our practical love for one another demonstrated who we are as family so much that we even surpassed what biological families do. What a witness that would be. What a witness if any difference that you find awkward in this church, someone that you're like, I'm not sure I can talk to them, for whatever reason, whether that's a language thing, cultural thing, or whether it's a dispute thing, that's an opportunity. (laughs) It's, It's not just a threat, it's an opportunity to demonstrate who we are in Jesus. So this is a real threat to the church going forward, uh, but it raises a second threat if it's dealt with wrong, uh, in a wrong way. Now, I'm guessing the first threat of disunity we, we kind of all agree with. Uh, I'm guessing uh, it's not controversial at all, but the apostles are wise to see another just as serious threat, and that's being distracted being distracted from word and prayer. It's not right, verse 2, it is not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. Now, Jesus washed his disciples' feet. (laughs) Is serving tables beneath them somehow? I don't think that's the point. It's not a matter of they've got a higher status. It's It's not about that. It's that they've been set apart for a specific task, to to teach, to proclaim. You could imagine to deal with this problem, the emotional and mental and time resources required to navigate the relationships and to practically address this would have eaten into their prayer and their preparation and and their proclamation they would have been distracted from the word of God. So a very imp- there's a need here that needs to be addressed. But if they dealt with it themselves, they would have stripped the church of the lifeblood of the word of God and prayer. Uh, apparently Charles Spurgeon, who, if you're in church land, you'll know his name, um, He's got the title Prince of Preachers because 
God used him powerfully to save many people. His preaching was that it was very powerful. And apparently, he anyone any kind of anyone visiting his church, um, he would take them downstairs into this very empty room, which apparently he called the boiler room. And it's just these bunch of chairs spread around. And while he was preaching, there was just dozens of people praying. And he was, in effect, saying, I, I give all the glory to God. <laughs> it's, he's, he's, he's praying. I wonder if we have that view of the centrality of the word of God and prayer. It's that the word, it's what creates us, it's what sustains us, it's what transforms us. It's our lifeblood. I think if Satan can't get this church to be quiet from external social pressure to compromise, he'll try and undermine our witness through scandal and disunity. Oh, they call themselves family, but look look at how they treat each other. If you can't do it that way, he'll just get us being busy with everything good except talking about Jesus and, and learning from his word. His schemes are not new. They're not new. They're right there in the early church. But the risen Lord, through his apostles, he protects his church from both threats. Uh, they, they, they bring a proposal. Brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the spirit and of wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty. Now, I think we can treat this as a bit of an illustration of deacons. Uh, we're going to actually do a sermon next week on deacons, so I'm not going to spend much time on that. But the word deacon here as a title isn't used, so it's not precisely that. But anyway, we'll come to that next week. What I'm amazed by is even the way they go about the solution to this problem demonstrates being family in Jesus. I love that there's not um, political manoeuvring here. There's not backdoor conversations going on. There's not identity politics going, okay, fine, we'll get four Greek men and three Hebrew men on this committee. It's not, it's not political. <laughs> it's not whoever gives the money to the church gets to decide. It's the whole church gathered. Whole church deciding. Uh, we're, we're told that they're all pleased with proposals. So the Hebrew Christians there are going, yes, we love, we love you. We love you, uh, Greek-speaking widows. We do. They're, they're pleased with this proposal. Uh, they're pleased with the proposal in the sense that, yes, we agree. The word and prayer must remain central if we're going to survive and, and be a witness. They're pleased with that. Uh, the church is entrusted with appointing those put in charge. It's not an autocratic decision, nor is it uh, just pure democracy. It's, it's led by the apostles, but they're also given... It's, it's, it's like a family... It's calling a family meeting around the dinner table. <laughs> they decide together. That's the picture that comes to my mind anyway. 
and they gladly use the gospel criteria. Uh, they've got to be of good repute, these men. They've got to be, they, their character must be known to be trustworthy. But notice they've got to be full of the Spirit. Uh, it'd be worth talking at morning tea what, how you tell if someone's full of the Spirit. I think um, I've, got, I've got some ideas, but I'll, I'll let you talk about that. But they've got to do a very practical task. But they've got to be spiritual men. They've got to be spiritual people. Like, imagine how fragile these relationships were between years of prejudice experience between one another. These, these people put in charge had to be so saturated in the gospel and, care, and careful uh, in how they handle this situation. So to be spiritual isn't just to teach like I am. You need to be saturated in the truth of Jesus to handle practical situations. Got to be spiritual. And the, and the church loves that because the apostles commissioned them. They approved their choice. It's a, re, it's a wonderful picture of family, I think, and, and a unity of, yes, let's be witnesses for the gospel centrality of the word, but also how they make the decision is as family. It's, it's a wonderful picture. And what's the result, verse 7? And the word of God continued to increase, and the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. The word increased. The apostles were freed up to keep speaking. We see that two of these men go on to be evangelists. Like, I'm not sure if I can say this, but maybe the authority given to them by the church empowered them to go on to other things as well. So it increased in that way. It increased in the way that how they come to this decision and, the, and that they are treating one another as family between the Greek and uh, Hebrew-speaking I suspect that's why Luke talks about the priests. I suspect it's that they saw in this church, led by the apostles, a unity that they didn't see in the synagogues. Uh, That unity that goes across cultures. uh, And they submitted themselves, even though they were priests, in the temple system teaching the law of Moses, they submit themselves to the authority of the apostles, going, you, apostles, are the true leaders of God's true people. Priests doing that. I I think that's because of the the winsomeness with which they solve this problem. It seems to be the connection that Luke is drawing anyway. So the Lord didn't only protect the church, he used the threat to cause the gospel witness to increase. That's how unstoppable he is. Now, an example came to mind of our church. Um, Last week, we just had a Grace Kids meeting. I didn't go to the meeting, mind you. I just want to say that. Is, uh, Catherine just does such a stellar job. Uh, 
I didn't feel like I needed to be there. Uh, but Grace Kids. Now, I am super encouraged. There are so many people helping with Grace Kids this year. It's, it's, it's a wonderful thing. That, but if you're new to the church, you may not realise the fruit we're reaping today was born out of controversy five years ago, was it? Um, there was a dispute <laughs> in the church, if those who were here. Uh, it, w- it was a tension point. Like Some people were, were ready to leave because they thought we weren't prioritising children and teaching children. Others were really worried that sending the children out would be uh, not treating them as family. They should be part of the family gathering. It, it, was, it was a real big issue. <laughs> And tempers were getting up at points. But I think it's a beautiful example of the Lord guiding us through because we had to untangle tradition from what Scripture says. We, we didn't just follow the advice of the world and what other churches do automatically. We went back to Scripture and worked out what we should do. And I think we're reaping the fruit of that now. So anyway, I'm not trying to pat ourselves on the back here. I'm trying to go, Jesus has done it for us. (laughs) He leads us through these things. Even times that feel very tense, he can use to increase our witness, how we go about it and the end result as well. I wonder if, like me, writing this sermon, I was so tempted to make the point of application exactly what my intro said I shouldn't do. (laughs) I'm so tempted to say the application we need to take away is the specifics of the story. Here's a model of church governance. Here's a model of appointing deacons. Here's a model of prioritising the word and prayer but not neglecting mercy ministries. Here's a model of addressing systematic, uh, systemic prejudice. Now, there, there could be lots of wisdom to be gleaned from this. Okay? I'm not saying there's nothing to be learned. But the true power of this story is what Luke, inspired by the Spirit, emphasises. And he brackets this story by verse 1 and 7, which is the increase of the Word of God. What was driving the concern of the apostles and the Spirit-filled church was the witness of Jesus. I'm not sure what internal threats we're going to face this year. Um, updating the Constitution, what, what great way to debate and set up 20, 30 different arguments. <laughs> we could if we chose to make a battleground on certain things. Uh, it's always a threat, I think. Clicks in the church relating to one another based off personal preferences and even prejudice, remaining prejudice. Who knows? The toxic spirit of complaining without seeking true solutions or, or maybe neglecting serious practical love for one another. Maybe it's drifting away from devoting ourselves to the apostles' teaching. The impact being in Acts has had on me is 
It's calming my fears of the unknown. Because it, it's making me ask the right question. If, I, if we can trust the Lord to sustain us, even using internal threats to cause us to grow, we've just got to ask the right question. Threats will come. They're, they're here now. <laughs> they're, they're more than what I listed. But the question is, what will be a compelling witness to the life found in Jesus' people, of belonging to Jesus in his people? I think, that, I think the takeaway here is asking the right question. What's going to be a witness to how good it is to belong to Jesus? Because once we ask that question, we'll go back to Scripture to, to get guidance. And, and whatever thre- threats do come this year, uh, being back in Acts, I'm, I'm taking comfort and I'm taking confidence that we can see that nothing can hinder the risen Lord. Not external, not internal threats. Nothing. Not the Jewish leaders with all their power, even putting Stephen to death, as we're going to see next week. That just spreads the gospel. It's not unbelievers who make it their mission to destroy the church, like Saul. (laughs) It can't stop Jesus. It's not inside the church, like we've seen today, remaining prejudiced and being hesitant to include Gentiles. Jesus transforms his church from the inside out. It's not secular leaders like Herod, who's eaten by worms, (laughs) and then the next sentence is like, but the word kept spreading. Uh, It's not even... Even there's real losses, like the martyrdom of Stephen. We're told James is put to the sword. Like there's some serious things that happen, but Jesus' church keeps going. Uh, it's not legalism inside the church, adding laws to going, you want to be a true Christian, you need to also do this, this, this. It's not religions and secular opposition from Greeks when they take believers to court and there's riots and there's beatings. That doesn't stop. Jesus. It's not the doctrinal incompleteness of Apollos. It's not even natural phenomena like shipwreck and snake bites can stop Paul. It's not imprisonment or house arrest. The gospel isn't chained. <laughs> Let's, while we're in Acts, we've got to see the big picture. Nothing's stopping Jesus and the spread of his church. So we should take comfort from that and trust him to guide us through whatever's coming, whatever we're in right now. And and I think just ask that simple question, but the right question, what will be a compelling witness to how good it is to belong to Jesus and his people? Will you pray with me? Let's pray.
Lord, thank you that uh, you are ruling, uh, that you are ruling this church family. It's your church. Uh, Lord, I pray for each one of us that in the moments where it feels anything but family with... uh, there's going to be things that feel so awful. And uh, so I pray that in those moments that you would help us uh, remember your words and remember the encouragement of Acts that, that, that you, you will complete your church, you will continue to grow your church. So I pray that you would comfort us in that knowledge and drive us back into your word and being dependent on your spirit to guide us. Please use us, God. Please use us to spread uh, the knowledge of you uh, so that others will come into, into your family and be saved. Please use us. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks, Dave.